Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All groups of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents for another Saturday morning here in the beautiful suburbs of Melbourne in the middle of spring. The weather is delightful, Pierre. How are, oh, I'm Giselle, you're Pierre. How are you? Well, Giselle, your morning coffee must have been exceptionally good this morning to hear your voice, which is fantastic. I'm very glad to hear that. No, I'm well, thank you very much. And I'm Pierre Morrow, and it's fantastic to be back again. And we've just worked out we've got seven shows to go uh, for this year. And really, it's been quite a uh, um, unique year, really, since I've been doing the show for 29 years. And I've never had a year like this, so it is quite unique so yeah um, indeed uh, that's right we are well and of course asia pacific currents is brought to you every week by australia asia worker links and those details giselle that's right you can find us on the web all the w's.aawl.org.au we're on facebook and twitter so look us up on those social media platforms i do want to say pierre following on from your comments about how unique this year has been just an absolutely exuberant shout out to 3CR's staff for helping all of us volunteers. There are about 400 of us that 3CR staff are coordinating and assisting to get our shows on air when we're all working from home. And those guys are working at all hours of the day and night while programmers are struggling with IT issues and connectivity issues and trying to upload our shows so that you can continue to hear them. They've done an extraordinarily mammoth job. And this year we can't even thank them face-to-face at our usual annual Christmas party. So I just wanted to thank the staff. Actually, at the moment, they're helping us all transition back to in-studio broadcasting. So uh, we think next year we'll be coming to you live from the studios once again. Try maybe um next year we'll have to post a photo to uh, to show that yes we are back. Evidence, evidence. <laughs> um, well, look, comrades. In the second part of the show, we're going to be broadcasting a talk delivered by a woman, Khulud Saba, uh, on the question of how war shapes healthcare in Syria and in the region. Um, Khulud Saba is a PhD candidate in social policy at the University of Edinburgh. And she's done a wide range of activism and political work around uh, the impact of conflict in Syria on population health. So that will be the second part of the show today. And of course, that talk was hosted by the Alliance of Middle East and North African Socialists. So a thank you to them for letting us use their audio. But I think... And I mean, I think... Can I just yeah, make a quick comment? I think it's uh, it's interesting, you know, that we have that on the show because, I mean, war, I mean, if we always talk about the effects of capitalism and exploitation at the workplace and, you know, and also how many people die uh, at the workplace, but really in terms of effects on workers and the working class, there's nothing as disastrous as war. Uh, the effects on on our class of any wars 
uh, because it's always the most vulnerable uh, are just horrific. And I think it's always good to remind ourselves that um, um, as workers, we have to be against uh, wars, especially imperialist wars. Well, it is time now for news from around the region. And I will start in Hong Kong, where airline workers are facing major cuts. With the protracted closure of borders and limitation on international travel, more and more airlines are forcing their workers to shoulder the costs. The latest one is Cathay Pacific, where in its latest negotiations over a new contract, the company is trying to force its flight attendants to accept a 40% pay cut. In addition, the new contract would substantially decrease the retirement benefits of many of its longer-term staff. This comes on top of the more than 5,000 layoffs that the company announced last week. The Cathay Pacific Flight Attendance Union has said that it will fight this attack on workers' conditions. In another related event earlier this month, Cathay Pacific announced that it would be closing its subsidiary, Cathay Dragon, and cutting a further 8,500 jobs. Yes, this recession has absolutely destroyed uh, the civil aviation industry, quite devastating to watch the layoffs in that industry and no support um, and no bounce back plan for those workers losing their jobs. That's right, quite a disastrous situation. We now go to um, Palestine where there's been another wanton killing by the uh, military forces of Israel. Um, last week's killing of 18-year-old Amas Nobar from the Nablus area village of Yatma in the early hours of the morning at an Israeli checkpoint has once again highlighted the everyday brutality of Israeli occupation. Ame was stopped while driving his car, and while the Israeli military claims that he hit his head while running away, the medical evidence suggests that the trauma area on his head was more likely caused by a blunt object like a rifle butt. Meanwhile, the hunger strike by 49-year-old Maher al-Akras is now in its 95th day as he battles against his ongoing administrative detention. In other news uh, from the West Bank, um, really to show the uh, deprivation of Palestinians, uh, this month, October, is again proving the month where Palestinian olives are specifically targeted before harvest. It is estimated that over half of the newly planted olive trees uh, of this year have already been destroyed by Israeli settlers. Olive trees obviously represent a major economic and social asset to farming Palestinian families. Moving now to Sri Lanka, where the military moves in against workers on the issue of COVID-19. About 10 days ago, over 3,000 workers at the Munu Wangada Brandix garment factory and the close family members of those workers were taken away by the military in the middle of the night to quarantine centres due to an outbreak of COVID-19 at that factory. The original source of the infection is thought to be from returning workers from India and initial reports indicate that the factory wasn't following proper COVID-19 protocols. The workers and families were given no time to prepare once the army arrived. They were herded in buses together and the quarantine centres were found to be lacking in enough space for everyone or lacking in suitable sanitary facilities. 
Not surprisingly, infections continue to rise in the days afterwards in the detention centres. Workers have filed numerous complaints in relation to the treatment of the workers and families, as well as calling on the government to provide job security for those workers, income assurance, as well as health and safety for all. A worrying situation there. And we go now to nearby to Thailand, where uh, protest and opposition to the military government continue. Now, on Thursday of last week, the Thai government withdrew its emergency decree um, that they had introduced banning all protest and demonstration after proclaiming it only one week earlier. Now, this uh, incredible policy reversal came about because instead of suppressing the nationwide protest against it, the decree only served to increase anger with demonstrations continuing throughout the country. Nevertheless, the government has continued to clamp down on the protest, arresting close to a close to 100 of its top leaders, spokespeople and other high profile activists. One of the activists who are still in jail from uh, this uh, spate of arrest is longtime labor and human rights activist Somyot Kamsem Suk, who had only been released from jail in 2018 after serving seven years for the crime of Les Majest. I mean, we call it for the crime of less majest, but it's really an excuse to put activists in jail. And of course, a lot of our listeners would know that we've campaigned long and hard in support of Somyot. Um, the protests have now become a daily event all around Thailand, calling on the government to resign and for a new constitution that will curtail the power of the military and the monarchy. Yeah, Thailand is definitely a place to watch. And just to inform listeners, um, Australia Asia Worker Links is uh, working with comrades right across the region, actually right across the world, to coordinate a movement in support of uh, Thai democracy in opposition to the Thai military and for the release of those comrades. And if any of you listeners are interested in supporting or being a part of that campaign, one aspect of it is raising money, not just for bail, but also to run the campaign. You can get in touch with us at aawl at aawl.org.au or send us a message on Facebook. But we're going to move now to Iraq where protests have continued to spread and this week the continuation of anti-government protests in all major cities in central and southern Iraq um, have continued as the movement celebrated its first year anniversary. The demands of the popular uprising continue to be for the government to resign and end to corruption and sectarian politics and jobs and living wages for all Iraqis. In addition, they now want the preparation the per, excuse me, in addition, they now want the perpetrators of the almost 600 protesters killed over the last year brought to justice. While the protests began without clear leaders, there are now steps among the protesters to coordinate actions across Iraq and establish clear organisational structures. I will see how that um, goes. And for our last uh, item on this um, news roundup, we go to South Korea, where it's actually, it just shows you how some uh, struggles and some fights uh, actually take uh, decades and, and how committed some of our comrades are. But um, uh, Jin Suk Kim was a welder at Hanjing Heavy Industry, who in the mid 1980s, so almost 40 years ago, 35 years ago, was arrested for handing out leaflets against the leadership of the then company Yellow Union. 
She was tortured while in, in custody. Uh, and remember that at that time, there was still military dictatorship in South Korea, and then sacked from her job once released. She remained committed to the workers in Hanjin. And in 2011, uh, Kim Jun-suk climbed up a shipyard crane in a high-profile protest against the dismissal of hundreds of workers at Hanjin. She stayed there for almost a year until the company agreed to reinstate all the sacked workers. Since then, with the help of the Korean Metal Workers Union, Jin Suk has also been campaigning to get her job back as well. Now, while this will be a symbolic act as she's at retiring age now, the union movement believes that this will be a recognition of her efforts over the last four decades. Jin Suk was also um, uh, had also been a rank-and-file uh, shipyard worker back in 1980s and um, was the um, first, uh, first elected as a delegate at Hanjing Heavy Industries in the mid-1980s. So she's really got a, a very long history of being a trade union activist um, there in South Korea. So um, we, wish you all her, we wish all her all the best and hopefully for her retirement she can be... Um, uh, uh, symbolically reinstated as well, though. Indeed. Well, that does bring us to the end of news from around the region for this morning. We're going to go do some community announcements and then we will have our feature story for the morning with Khulud Saba. An important message from the Victorian government about coronavirus. To manage coronavirus and save lives, immediate action is required. This means if you can stay home, you must stay home. Yes, it's a major disruption to your lives, but this disruption today will save the lives of many Victorians tomorrow. If you think you may have coronavirus, call the government's hotline on 1800 675 398 or visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Victorian Government. Managing this together. A 3CR supporter. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager, or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. And you're listening to Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents with Pierre and Giselle. And our story this morning is Khulud Saba, who's a PhD candidate in social policy at the University of Edinburgh. And she spoke at a panel organised by the, um, the Alliance of Middle East and North African Socialists on the topic of how war shapes healthcare in Syria and re- Syria and the region. And of course, she's been an activist around conflict issues in Syria uh, and has studied the impact of conflict on population health across the region. So here is Khulud Saba. I'm working on militarization and I'm working on social determinants of health or political determinants of health as a, an overarching um, framework to understand uh, population health. And in the case of Syria, uh, it can't be more more perfect uh, unfortunately because historically healthcare is uh 
one of the manifestation of the social contract of between the population and or society and um, and the state, different states around in the region. Uh, the different the difference between the intensity of the level of the militarization of the state, but then also what they have in common. Authoritarian states have usually uh, conditional access and conditional contracts with citizens or with the population, depending on loyalty. And also after loyalty comes all kind of indicators, differential indicators like class, gender, geography. Uh, in case of Syria, this was the case before the war started, but then when the revolution started and then the war afterwards, uh, the overarching determinant and change was the level of violence in the institutions, level of violence uh, between the state and the population, level of violence uh, translated into between communities and different groups. Uh, and that was uh, that can mainly be seen through different levels uh, of a macro and a micro uh, uh, impact and instrumentalization of, of violence. Uh, so, for example, we can see before anything else, we can see that all the resources, not only from health, but also education, all kind of social care has been uh, diverted to uh, the military expenditure. Uh, also, all resources in healthcare were directed toward the military, in a sense that this is the new hierarchy uh, in the society where uh, those the men who defend the country are on the front line who deserve our uh, resources. Uh, on another level, uh, the spaces of healing, or uh, if this is a way to describe clinics and hospitals turned into part of uh, uh, part of these uh, strat strategy of urban militarization and urban warfare, where buildings, uh, healthcare workers, all used to, uh, used as an instrument to uh, force a control or force a situation. For example, sieges, uh, starvation, uh, all these were strategies where healthcare was involved in as a as a weapon so for example many areas in syria and i think still that was, uh, that affected the infrastructure uh the the building infra infrastructure for the healthcare for example in syria you can see right from the beginning even when the protests started to happen uh hospitals just like uh osama mentioned the hospitals in syria are built also and on hills and this is uh, a very interesting uh, a trend in the Middle East. Uh, I now remember also in rural areas in, in uh, Iraq, the hospitals also built higher than the rest of the cities. And immediately these spaces uh, turned into sniper centers for the army and for the security forces. Uh, and it was, uh, I visited many hospitals who kept their doors open uh, still being turned into this military bases and also at the same time providing care for patients. But you can see the, the, the quality of patients uh, in these spaces, usually many women, men would, not, would never be uh, seen close to the hospitals, etc. 
the second thing after the, uh, the infrastructure destruction is the displacement of the population. Originally, people uh, people have their own safety networks. We didn't. We weren't in a perfect situation. We were in a situation that people had their own safety networks and they build up a resilience accordingly to their position in the society. But then the war happened and massive, ma like, and I think this is displacement is something that you can we can associate with every war and conflict in the in history. But the war happened uh, in Syria, and massive displacement happened uh, in consequence to the urban warfare. Uh, all parties involved in the war took over uh, took over city centers, took over urban centers, and they fought from one building to another. Uh, so you can see we ended up with hundreds of thousands of people moving, even sometimes in the same day. Made the response to that really complicated. Uh, so displacement was a massive issue where all the safety networks compromised everything we know it. People, families, everything uh, we know has changed. Uh, people usually make relationships with healthcare providers and sustain them in order to attain not only care but also more of a complex treatment plan. If you if you want to say uh, societies uh, in the region like Syria and Iraq, Jordan, Lebanon, um, Palestine, uh, these are we're heading toward an aging society, but also we're having a massive chronic uh, diseases burden that happens uh, now way earlier in ages in demographic groups than other nations in comparison. And this is also related to violence. And the response to such diseases and complications need complex systems working on the ground. At the end, at, at the moment, now we have, if you want to call, if you want to call it healthcare, although I, I really, very, I, I would be very conscious to, to call it healthcare system. But if uh, at the end we have four different healthcare operating now in Syria and government controlled areas and opposition controlled areas in Northeast uh, Syria and um, Kurdish controlled areas and Turkey controlled areas. All of these systems what we have have in common are that they are fractured systems they depend massively on external resources and ngo programs and these programs and resources would not are not built to respond to a complex situation we've seen this in iraq we've seen it in afghanistan we've seen it in many other cases but unfortunately the lesson keeps turning i would say it would be very interesting for uh, for sociologists and healthcare to look at how different indicators, how different social qualities and privileges work out in relationship of the population with the healthcare under violence. How gender is affecting us? How how uh, power relation in the houses and the households, ability to move and across the uh, checkpoints, etc. All of these are things yet to be studied. And I think, although they are all the story, just as, just as Omar said, uh, it's not massively, the situation in Syria is quite intense and it is one of the most 
documented uh, conflicts in the world. Uh, so we can see everything. We saw everything. We saw every hospital. We saw every health worker. We saw every child. And we saw every uh, fighter. But the problem, the problem is, is still there. The type of strategies used by uh, powerful actors in a conflict zone are the same. Uh, you instrumentalize healthcare workers and healthcare centers to, to control the population. Uh, you instrumentalize uh, disease, also you instrumentalize food, etc., to control the population. Uh, this is against IHL, this is against uh, all kind of, uh, let's say, uh, the international law uh, treaties, but the reality, this is, this is it. But it didn't start in Syria, it started in Iraq, started in Afghanistan, started in Palestine. Uh, the tactic of attacking hospitals is a tactic based on uh, a wide use tactic in war on terror that uh, the, American, the American army used uh, in Afghanistan. Uh, but every, every other state is adding their own flavor, like for example, they used uh, barrels instead of rockets, and high advanced rockets. It's all very, um, it's all very repetitive, unfortunately. Uh, the second thing that I want to talk about is uh, against violence uh, is also the role of health workers. And I think uh, Ola is going to tell us more uh, about this. And I think she's she worked more on the issue of health workers. But I want to say that also um, a, a perspective on the role of health workers and how it changed uh, during the conflict and it's important for me as a person who organized it through the protest to see how there's a massive change between a health worker who used to be a social agent, uh, a community leader, a participant, to uh, a neutral person uh, by because of the humanitarian response. We had, uh, we had this new image enforced on health workers as they have to be neutral, they have to be... Uh, they have to show that their institutions, they have to so show that their patients are certain kind of people, are certain kind of groups. And this is massively disruptive. This is massively disruptive to the health care itself, but also massively disruptive to the communities themselves in a way of how they build the resilience. Because health workers, teachers, and um, uh, at the end are social agents. They are the social agents of change anywhere else. And this this attempt to neutralize them or diffuse their their politics is not very healthy. It's not gonna uh, it's not going to reflect uh, in a good in a better situation. Uh, and as Soma said, and I think this is definitely the situation in Syria also now, the trust in health workers and trust in health institutions are is deteriorating, is deteriorating to a degree where when we have something as COVID, you have people avoiding hospitals, uh, A, because of course they would, they are avoiding the contraction of the, uh, the virus, but also because there is eroding trust between the institutions and health workers and the population. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, 
fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions? Have you been fined or charged under the new laws? Or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. And you were listening to Khalud Sabah speaking about how war shapes healthcare in Syria and the region. And Pierre, that brings us to the end of the show. That's right. That's right, Giselle. Well, um, again, thank you very much uh, for being part of the show. And and thank for our listeners, wherever they may be around the world, for listening to this show. We'll be back next week with another roundup of uh, Labor news from, uh, from the region. But that's all um, from me. Uh, obviously, stay tuned to 3CR. Pierre Morrow. And me, Giselle Hannah.